Well, good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Bible Center. It's great to see you. I've got some good news to share, something we've been preparing for for really over a year. Uh, we have four new pastors that I'd like to introduce to you on the screen. Uh, you're going to get to officially meet them here in a few weeks, but I wanted to go ahead and introduce them to you on the screen. The first is Pastor John King. John King is currently on staff out at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Uh, there's a pastor there that some of you are familiar with. Uh, pastor Sean has been out there. And for the last five years or so, uh, John has served as an executive leader at his church, one of their pastors. And we were able to finally steal somebody from Sean and bring them back here. And so John begins July 1st. He'll be settling in for a few weeks, be praying for him. He'll be our new executive pastor. Uh, pastor Lee is not going anywhere. He is staying around. We've got him on the 50-year plan. It's 50 more years of serving. Uh, and I love that man. But he will be transitioning out of the executive pastor role uh, into a director of development, helping with some things with the school that we'll say later on in our member meeting. But I'm excited about John. He grew up here, and many of you... Uh, knew him years ago. Ted Tanzi is our new pastor of counseling. Ted also begins July 1st. How many of you know Ted? One way or another, a lot of you know Ted. Ted, for 12 years, was a pastor at River Ridge Church, and he's been passionate about stepping into counseling as his primary ministry. He's got some vision and plans and dreams to take our counseling ministry uh, even farther than I've ever dreamed for it to go. And so be praying for Ted and Beth and their kids. Thankfully, they're already here, and they'll be settling in more and more in the next couple weeks. Also want to introduce Pastor Mike Graham. Mike Graham will be our pastor of Group Life, uh, again, starting in July. Uh, through your help and through our various boards and committees, we were able to lower our budget target goal and still bring on a new position. We believe that group ministry through adult Bible fellowships and community groups is the secret uh, to us growing deeper and wider. We want to grow deeper in the Word and create space for more of you to belong. I'm surprised how many folks are saying, you know, I really want a community group or I really want an adult Bible fellowship, but I just haven't found one yet for me. Uh, that's going to be Mike's job for the years to come. Mike served with me on staff in Louisville at our church. He's a groups uh, pastor ninja, I call him. You'll love him dearly. And then this is Josh Willits, our last new pastor. You know, our middle school ministry at Bible Center is about as big or bigger than the average church in West Virginia, probably bigger. And Josh has done this on a volunteer basis now for four years, done a great job. But we sense the Spirit's leading to step in not only to Christian school uh, kids at our own Christian school ministry or students, not kids, uh, but we also sense the Spirit's leading to step into our public schools and reach our homeschool students. So pray for Josh. He is excited. He also begins July 1st. He will remain the part-time Bible teacher at Bible Center School for one more year. I love these men dearly. I want to introduce one more person to you. Uh, this person is not going to become one of our, our pastors, at least not yet. Uh, this is Susan Beeler, and Susan has been part of Bible Center since 72, you said? Yes. 1972. Yes. Who was the pastor here when you first came? Pastor Spradling. Pastor Spradling. And she has led a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday nights since 1993. How many of you ladies have ever gone to anything she's taught? Oh, a lot, a number of you. Well, Susan, we're glad to have you read the scriptures for us, and feel free to lead us along. Thank you. 
Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Psalm 19. And please stand with me for the reading of the word. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Susan. Have you ever made a bad decision? How many of you would say, at least once in my life, I have made a bad decision? Is there two of you? Okay, few of you have made some bad decisions. I'd love to tell you about a couple times when I've made some bad decisions, some wrong predictions or some wrong calculations. Uh, one, I think I may have mentioned it before in one of my lessons. Uh, whenever I, in 2003, I had a Palm Pilot. I carried it uh, on my belt, which I'm not sure quite why I did that, but I had a big old Palm Pilot, and I had a cell phone. I was in a Verizon store in York, Pennsylvania, and I saw for the first time a Palm Trio, where the phone would be mixed with the Palm Pilot. We had Katie, she was just a few months old, uh, Sarah and I were in a Verizon store, and I told her, honey, this will never work. A phone and a PDA all in one, there's no way it'll ever work, it's just a fad, this is going to go away. <laughs> And of course, we know now it's not a fad. Most of us have iPhones or some other phone in our possession. Another bad calculation or prediction that I made was uh, once on a forklift. This did not happen to me in the picture, but this is what could have happened to me. I was uh, 18 years old, my freshman year of college. I had gone through forklift training at a machine shop where I worked in Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, but you know, when you're working second shift or night shift, when the boss is away, uh, the mice will play. And so I began to try to figure out ways to save time for our processes. Uh, the process was we had to take a certain amount of metal, take it to the dock, run down at the bottom of the loading dock, grab the, fork with the, the metal with the forklift, 
turn it around, and then load it into the dock and the, re- or the truck. The reason we did that is because the truck was a lot lower than the dock. It was about a foot lower. And the ball says, whatever you do, don't try to load the metal straight off of the dock, but drive around and then load it. And I thought, yeah, okay, sure. Well, after working there for almost a year, I realized I could save a lot of time. I had gotten really good with the forklift. I could put the metal on the end of the forks and just kind of dance it right into the back of the truck. And so I started doing that quite frequently. One time, I guess I didn't negotiate properly the weight of the metal and the weight of the forklift. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. I'm working second shift. And all of a sudden, that forklift starts to go over the edge of the dock. Now, I had the truck, the wheels chalked. I had the brakes on. Had I not, had that, had I not done that, this probably would have been what happened. My friends, I feel like I let out a manly moan. You know, I don't scream and I don't squeal. I let out manly moans. But my friends in college who also work with me said that actually wasn't what happened. They said I sounded like a middle school girl screaming at the top of my lungs. They came out and rescued me and all was okay. When we think about wrong calculations or wrong predictions, it's easy for us to recognize that we have errors in our judgment. We have errors in our decisions. But when we think about the Bible, the question today is, does the Bible have errors in its judgment? Does the Bible have errors in its words? The world thinks so, but let's look together today and see if it's true. Is the Bible full of errors? We're going to look at several points today. Number one in your outline, the sky points us to God. Notice with me, the sky points us to God. According to Psalm 19, there's three different ways that we learn of God, that God reveals himself to us. And the first way is through the sky, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Psalm 19 is all about communication and about revelation. And the psalmist, David himself, writes that God is communicating with us. Have you ever wished that God would just speak to you? Well, Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 says that God speaks to you every day. He speaks to us often. And the first way he does that is through his creation, through the sun, through the moon, and through the stars. Verses 3 and 4 tell us a little bit more about the, the communication. He says, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. At first, this seems like a contradiction. Are there contradictions in the Bible? It seems like a a paradox. Verse 3 says, there's no voice. This is soundless. This is silent. But then in verse 4 says, there is a voice. And this is just a poetic way for David to write that God is communicating to us, but it's not through words, but it's through the world. And we communicate with each other a lot like this. Have you ever, those of you who are married or if you have a close friend, have you ever noticed how you can communicate so much without ever speaking a word? 
Now, I've been preaching now for about 15 years, at least in a full-time capacity, and one thing I've learned, I can read my wife a lot whenever I'm preaching about how well I'm doing. Sometimes, you know, I get the look that says, hey, you know, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, this is, I'm on the edge of my seat. And sometimes I get the look that, you know, you probably ought to wrap this up. It's been good, but your time is up. And then she's never looked at her watch. I don't want to embarrass her. And then sometimes you get the look like, you know, honey, you might as well just go ahead and quit. This is just not going well. And I can read all of that uh, on her face. You're sitting at dinner and somebody says, hey, do you want to come hang out at our house afterwards? And you just kind of know. You wait for that nudge or that look like you need to find an excuse to say no really fast. Or yes, absolutely. Gestures tell us a lot. And really, creation is God's gesture to us. It's a way of saying, I am God. I am here. In verses 5 and 6, it gets very specific. He says, in them he has set a tent for the sun. So he's going to tell us a little bit about the sun. The sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber... And like a strong man runs its race with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is over 100 times the diameter of earth. You could actually fit a million earths inside the sun if it were hollow. You know, I learned something this week that the sun is 400 times the size of the moon and the sun is also 400 times the distance away from earth that the moon is. That's why whenever we look at the sun and we look at the moon from earth, they look similar. They look like they're the same size, but they're not anywhere close uh, to being the same size. And the Lord uses two pictures here, one of a bridegroom coming out of his chamber In other words, the bridegroom is ready for the wedding. I love doing weddings. I love watching weddings. And I have learned not to watch the bride. All brides look the same. They're all gorgeous. They're all beautiful. They all come down. They're excited. I love watching the groom. I like watching him get nervous. I like watching him fidget back and forth. I like making sure he's not going to pass out. But there's something exciting about looking at the groom's face when he sees his bride come down the aisle. I don't care how strong he is, how tough he is, every groom melts when their bride comes walking down the aisle. And God tells us that the sun every morning is like that groom. He also uses the picture that the sun is like a strong man coming to a competition It's like the boxer coming out of the shadows. This year on vacation, just go ahead and turn on a little bit of Queen and and sing We Are the Champions as you watch the sun rise over the beach. God says the sun is his creation to tell us he is in charge. He is here. Abraham Lincoln wrote this, I can see how it might be possible For a man to look down upon earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. The sky tells us about God. How else, though, do we know about God? 
We said at the beginning there are several ways. There's actually three ways. The sky, but there's something else that tells us about God. Number two, the scriptures point us to God. The scriptures point us to God. Nature is not enough. Nature is not enough. Nature, we learn much about God, but we can't learn everything about God. So God has given us more specific revelation in the scriptures. God wants to go more personal with us. In verse 7, if you're taking notes, you can look. You see there he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The end of verse 7, he uses the word Lord again. In verse 8, twice. In verse 9, twice. Throughout this passage, he uses capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Why does he do that? Well, at the beginning of the psalm, when he was talking about creation, he used a different name for God. He used uh, this idea of Elohim, just the almighty, all-powerful God. But really, God is a title. But in verse 7, he switches to use a name for God, just like I am a pastor, but my name is Matt. In verse 7, he switches from God's title to God's name. His name is Lord. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Now, we translate that into Greek as Jehovah. Uh, what is God's name? God's name actually is Yahweh or Jehovah. And so he's, even in the text itself, he's getting very personal. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you isn't just about creation, it isn't just about a God, but I'm about to tell you the essence of the one true God. I'm going to tell you who I am and what I am all about. Notice with me in verse 7, how do we know the heart of God? How do we get personal with God? It's not through creation, but in verse 7 he says, it's the law of the Lord that's perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. If you're taking notes, you want to underline the six words from verses 7 through 9. Law, testimony, precepts commandments, fear of the Lord, and rules. All, maybe you have the question, well, I believe the Bible is good, but does it really contain any errors? You know, the Bible uh, is, is a great book about morals, but certainly we can't believe that an ancient book could actually be that accurate. I think that's a legitimate question. And none of us can claim to know all the answers. At some point, we all accept it by faith. But I've always found it interesting when somebody says, the Bible is full of errors. And you say, can you point out errors? Oftentimes, it's just a, something they don't want to accept or that we don't want to accept. Maybe it's a command or a principle that really strikes at the heart of who we are and we really rubs us the wrong way. But when it comes to the errors of the Bible, here's just a few facts from a great book. We recommended this book a couple of weeks ago. You can throw it up on the screen again. Bill Bright writes, Scholars estimate we can find approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 
Roughly 2,000 of those have been fulfilled with remarkable precision. Because I believe we are living in the last days before Christ's second coming, I look forward to seeing the remaining 500 prophecies come to pass in the near future. But the odds that all 2,000 prophecies could have been fulfilled by chance, this blew me away this week, is less than 10 to the 2,000th power. That's a one with 2,000 zeros after it. What about history? The Bible prophecy, but what about history? Scientists state that the Bible is historically inaccurate because some believe that King David was a fictional character. They said the remains of the Egyptian, Babylonian, and Assyrian cultures made no reference to King David. But recently, an Assyrian stone tablet dating from the 9th century B.C. has been found by a group of archaeologists in northern Israel. It shows an Aramaic inscription listing Assyria's enemies, including among the list were the words, King of Israel, House of David. The Hittites were once thought to be a biblical legend until their capital and all their records were discovered in Turkey several years ago. It was once claimed that there was no, no Assyrian king named Sargon, as mentioned in Isaiah 20 and verse 1. Then Sargon's palace was discovered in Iraq, and all evidence pointed to the scriptures. One last question I'll get from time to time is science. What about the Bible and science? We believe the Bible, but can it really be reconciled to science? I love this. Many centuries before Galileo claimed the earth was round, the Bible declared in Isaiah 40, verse 22, the people below must seem to be like grasshoppers. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. Matthew Maury is considered the father of oceanography. When he was bedridden during a serious illness, he asked his son to read from him the Bible. While listening to Psalm 8 in the King James Version, Maury noticed the expression, the paths of the seas. Upon his recovery, Maury went looking for these paths and as a result discovered the continental currents. I highly recommend this book. There's also another book I recommend from Rob Plummer, one of my favorite seminary professors. Lord willing, we'll have him here in the coming year. Rob's the New Testament chairman of uh, Bible at Southern Seminary. Great book. It's in your notes today. Notice what the Bible says in verses 7 through 9. He mentions these six different uh, names for the Bible, but notice what the Bible does for us. Let's get it, make it practical for a moment. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What is the soul? Well, the soul is the essence of who we are. And so in this passage, he says the Bible, as we get into the Bible, it revives who we really are. We live in a culture that says be authentic, be who you really are. The Bible is the key to you being who God made you to be. And the more you're in the Bible, the more you'll be the you that God made you to be. Notice verse 8. He says it makes wise the simple. Then it says it rejoices the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You ever wonder how the Bible could be said to rejoice your heart? 
You think, I thought the Bible was full of thou shalt nots. Everything I want to do in my life, the Bible tells me I'm not allowed to do. How could that rejoice the heart? Well, David says down in verse 10, as we get into the Bible, more to be desired than gold it will become. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, sure, is your servant warned. But in keeping of them, there is great reward. Does the Bible have rules? Sure, the Bible has rules. But the Bible is the key to peace. The Bible is the key to joy. The Bible is the key to love. The Bible is the key to contentment. And the times in my life when I'm satisfied with the Bible and I'm in the Word are the times when I am most satisfied in life. And so let me encourage you to get in the Word and watch what God does in your heart this summer. It revives the soul, enlightens the eyes, satisfies the heart. Number one, we see the skies point us to God. Number two, we see the scriptures point us to God. But lastly, and number three, the Savior gives us peace with God. The Savior gives us peace with God. Notice verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. The Savior gives us peace with God. In these verses, David asks the question, who can save me from my secret sins? Now, we won't ask you about your secret sins, but David's not even talking about the public sins. He's talking about the secret sins. He looks at his heart, and he looks at the Bible, and he says, who is going to deliver me from who I know I really am? Now, it's easy for us to save ourselves from the public sins. There's certain things we know. Our parents told us if we do these things, it'll hurt our testimony. It'll hurt our reputation in the community. We would never dream of doing X, Y, Z, though at times we've all done X, Y, Z. But David's looking at himself and saying, Lord, I know who I am in the dark when nobody else is around. You know, growing up, I would hear the, the phrase, character is who you are in the dark. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us in the dark aren't always who we are in the light. Even if it's not something we do, let me ask you this. What if all the thoughts that you had this week, all the thoughts we put up on the screen and everybody got to see everything you thought all this week? Now, as a kid, like growing up in church, that was always like the threat, right? Like, you know, there's coming a day. That everything you've ever seen or done, they're going to throw it up here at the great white throne or the great uh, Bema seat. And your mom's going to see what you did. Now, growing up, I know I should have been more concerned about what Jesus thought. But I'm thinking, I don't want my mom to see what I've done. 
But this passage isn't about some judgment in the future. This passage is about right now. You see, when when David got into the Word and David looked at creation and he looked at the Scriptures, he recognized that he fell far short. And he's asking the question, who can save me from who I really am? And the answer comes in verse 14. He says, who can make me acceptable? Who can make me clean? There's nobody that can do that except the Lord. He uses him again. My rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 was never given to tell you that if you read the Bible enough, you can obtain perfection. It won't happen. Even if it could happen from this day forward, if you decided to read the Bible for the rest of your life and you said, I'm never going to sin again, what's going to happen about the sins you've already committed? David says when he looks at the Lord and the Lord looks at him, he is in need of a redeemer. And it's the redeemer, the future redeemer to come, who can save David from his secret sins. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, I love this, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Most of us are Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The gospel is not try harder and get in the Bible to clean up your life. You can't do it any more than I can do it. The gospel is that David had a descendant and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who could fulfill what it looked like to be saturated in the scriptures. Jesus read his Bible when you didn't. Jesus meditated on the Bible when we wouldn't. If you poke Jesus, he bled scripture. You ever look at the times when Jesus is talking to his enemies, how many times he quotes scripture? He's on the road to be crucified. He falls under the weight of the cross. Someone tries to step in and help, and Jesus quotes Hosea chapter, I think chapter 5. Uh, 10 verse 5 or 5 verse 10. It's one of those two. Who just quotes Hosea out of the blue? When the Pharisees are after him, Jesus said, Thus saith the Lord. And he quotes Isaiah or he quotes Jeremiah. He was filled with the scriptures, which gives us hope. You see, what I don't want to do through this 10-week series is for us to walk away saying, If I get in the Bible enough, I can deliver myself. I want you to walk away from this 10-week series and you say, I'll never be able to get in the Bible enough. 
I'll never be able to read it enough, study it enough, know it enough, but thank the Lord, my salvation and my acceptance before God doesn't depend on how much or how little I read the Bible. It depends on the one who fulfilled the Bible perfectly, and his name is Jesus. When I was growing up, I used to think God would like me more if I read my Bible. Now, I know you would never do that, but, you know, if I hadn't read my Bible that day, I thought, you know, God's pretty upset with me today. And, and so what I would do, and I know my parents would ask me, you know, have you read your Bible? And, and so I, <laughs> I would walk out of my room, and on the way out I would look, and it said, you know, Holy Bible on the front cover. And so I would read those two words, Holy Bible. And so when they would ask, have you read your Bible? I could say, yeah, oh, absolutely. I read it every day, Holy Bible. You know, my parents are like, God will like me more. Even in all of that, the Savior still provided salvation for us. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is given to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, though innocently slain, his blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our salvation. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave family and friends behind to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was just offered up by his father on the mountain as a sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice so that we could receive forgiveness. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and uses his new power to save those who sinned against him. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people of God and leads them into the promised land. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who was struck with the rod of God's justice and now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the innocent sufferer who intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but he left a heavenly palace to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. And Jesus is the true and better lamb, though innocent, perfect, and helpless. He was slain to provide us a way to God. This morning, we're doing a series on the Bible, but if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you that the Bible is all about Him. We talked about it last week in our message, and our prayer is that today you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, because He's the one the Bible is all about. So for Christians, what can we do with Psalm 19? What's a good takeaway? What's a way we can live out this passage this week? I think it's this. Let me encourage you, stop trying to master the Bible, but instead let the Bible master you. Stop trying to master the Bible, but as a Christian, let the Bible master you. This summer... While you're reading the Bible, many of you are going through the Bible, the New Testament, 
it would be tempting for us just to look for facts. Now, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But remember what James said, Jesus' half-brother? Don't just be a hearer of the word, but also be a what? A doer of the word. Here's a question. Is it possible for us to be so filled with Bible knowledge but not apply the Bible knowledge to our life? Is that possible? Absolutely possible. Many of us, most of us have done it. So when I encourage you not to master the Bible, what I'm not saying is don't get in the Bible, don't study. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's not be people this summer who walk away from an eight to 10 week doctrinal series and we read the books that we recommend and we dive into the studies that we provide, but our lives are no different after eight to 10 weeks. Let's be a people who, instead of just always reading the Bible, we let the Bible read us. Remember what David prayed? He's in the word, he's before the Lord in creation, and he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and redeemer. I remember a speaker once at seminary, he got up and asked, what is the definition of a spiritual Christian? How many of you would consider yourselves spiritual men and women? Of course, we didn't raise our hands like that'd be cheesy, but in our hearts, we're thinking, well, of course. You know, I moved my family to go to seminary. I'm in the Word hours upon end. Certainly, I'm a spiritual person. He said, wouldn't it be great if there was a litmus test for us to determine if we really are spiritual people? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. It'd be, it'd be great. And he said, there is. Galatians chapter 5. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. God is not interested on how many Bible facts you know. He's more interested on how much faith we put in him. This morning I got up to get ready for the service and I got received a got my Father's Day, birth, Father's Day card, knock at the door, and open the door. My three girls were standing outside the door to give me my Father's Day card. I love it. It was a great surprise. You know, the picture up on the screen doesn't say all the text, but the, the, the Father's Day card says, in a perfect world, there'd be no such thing as work. That'd be great, right? Bacon would be health food. I like that. Every shot would be a hole in one, and then there's a nice note at the end, and everyone would have a dad like you. Now imagine this. I walk out of the bathroom, my girls hand me the card, and I open up the card and I say, man, this is a great card. This is really, really good. Let me think about this for a minute. There's a picture of a guy on a hammock. I wonder what that guy weighs. Um, I wonder what kind of hammock he got. I wonder if there's a weight limit. What kind of trees are these in the picture? Bacon. How many calories can you eat uh, while still eating? Does it really affect your cholesterol? Whatever happened to the Atkins diet? Is turkey bacon really better? Or, or a hole in one? You know, I used to play golf. I probably ought to play golf some more. I wonder what she means by everyone would have a dad just like you. How many dads are there in the world, really? Rally writes, love, XOXO. I wonder what XOXOXO means. You know, she says, I love you, but what does she really mean by love? I mean, you know, there's different definitions for love. There's different Greek words for love. Let me just die. 
And, and I just walk past them, open my card, and come on into the building studying my Father's Day card. What kind of dad would I be? You'd say, well, you know, it's, it's good to study. It's good to know what they mean. But that card was intended to point you to somebody you love. And Christian, it is so good to study. And it is so good to get into the Word. We certainly have not too much of it. But this book is intended to point you to somebody you love. And to somebody who loves you. And my concern and my prayer and my burden for the future of Bible Center is that we definitely need to be more Bible-centered, but may we also be Jesus-centered. Let us not be a people who's just filled with facts, but may we also be a people who are filled with faith. And this morning, may we pray the prayer that David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's stop trying to master the Bible. We never will. But instead, this summer, let's let the Bible master us. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this time, this summer, where we can study various doctrines, various aspects of the Scriptures we know your Bible is inspired. We know your Bible is inerrant. Lord, we know your Bible is true and reliable. But I pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, to be a people who let the Bible master us. Bless times of reading as people get up early or read it at night before they go to bed. Bless our time sitting on the beach or sitting on the back porch or on the mountains or at work on our lunch break. Bless our times in your word, but Lord, may you change us to be a people who look like Jesus and act like Jesus seven days a week. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning about what it really means to be a Christian. And you know, you came in today thinking that the gospel was about being good. But now you see that the gospel is about one who was good for you in your place, Jesus Christ. There's no set prayer in the Bible. One man in the temple, Jesus said, just simply prayed this, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he left the temple saved. Would you leave church today saved? Just like King David prayed, the only way, Lord, I can be acceptable in your sight is through a Redeemer. The only way we can be acceptable in his sight is through a Redeemer. Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again to pay your price. Would you ask him into your life today? I'll pray this prayer. Feel free to follow along in your heart. Pray it to the Lord. Dear God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've sinned outwardly. Like everybody else here, I know I've sinned inwardly. Lord, I believe you love me and died on the cross to save me. I believe you rose again the third day. 
give me new life and make me a Christian. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to let one of our pastors know. I'm going to be here right at the front for a while after the service. We have men and women in the living room. Feel free to let one of us know, hey, I, I want to know more about what it's like to follow Jesus. We'd love to follow up with you this week. Christian, let's take a minute and ask the Lord to help us approach the Bible with greater humility to let it read us as much as we read it. Let's take a minute to ask God to master us by it more than ever before. And then we'll close with a song.